0: Okay, hey folks, we're in Lesson 18 uh, this morning. We're going to be wrapping up our look at the epistles of John, the first epistle. We're going to be wrapping up our study in the first epistle of John. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21 of Chapter 5 this morning. And basically, as we're getting to the end here, John is going to give some summarizing statements today concerning the Christian walk concerning the life just kind of wrapping up everything he's been talking about throughout this whole whole epistle and he's going to summarize some things so the first thing he's going to do is as we're going to look at the issue of the impact of the relationship that we have with Christ verses 14 to 17 he's going to talk about that confidence but let's first of all let's look at verses 14 through 17 and grasp what he's trying to tell us. Here this morning. Look with me. He writes. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. We know that he hears us. Whatever we ask. We know that we have the petitions. That we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin. Which does not lead to death. He will ask. And he will Give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. So let's, let's look at these, a few verses here in this section as we begin to wrap up looking at the whole epistle today. And so the first of all, the impact of that relationship that we have for him. Notice the confidence. Verse 14, he's going to talk about that the confidence we have is expressed in our prayer. So notice what he says there. Out of our relationship with Christ, we can have confidence in prayer. Out of your relationship, the fact that you and I have a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, the fact that he hears us and knows us, you and I can have confidence when we pray to him. Now, to be very honest with you, as we look at that, we would say, oh yeah, that's true. But in practicality, the way that we live our lives, the reality is is that for many of us, we don't have any confidence when we pray. We're not assured that he hears us. In fact, we, we say things like this, that my prayers don't get past the ceiling. I just feel like God's not hearing me. Well, the reality is, is that if you have a relationship with him, the only thing that is going to hinder you from being heard by God in your prayer life is the fact that you are sinning and you're not dealing with your sin. It's unconfessed sin in your life. So outside of that, you and I, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that he's going to hear us, that he's going to hear our prayers. So, here's what he says. God hears us when we ask anything according to his will. And I think it's really interesting, and I think it's actually very good that John includes that phrase, according to his will. Because so often times, we get frustrated with prayer because we go to him and we say, Well, God, you're not answering my prayers. Well, a lot of times, the reasons why he's not answering our prayers is because they're what? Yeah, Selfish. In fact, isn't that what James says? You have not, that's why you're warring with each other. You have not because you ask not, but if you ask, you ask amiss so that you can, what, have it for your own lusts? The whole purpose is, is God doesn't answer our selfish prayers. but if we pray in accordance with His will, if we, you know, if we have such a relationship with Him that we understand what His heartbeat and what it is that He wants, we're going to start praying that way. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In your relationships with each other, if you are so in tune with each other, the request that you're going to make of that other person for them to do something is usually not going to be self-centered and oriented. Because if it is, what does it do to the relationship? Yeah, it kills the relationship. But if you have an understanding of who you're having a relationship with, you're not going to make requests that are outrageous or selfish. Out of the relationship, you're going to make requests that are going to benefit that relationship, that are going to take the other person into account. This is what John is saying here. You and I can have confidence in our relationship with Jesus that when we talk to him, if we ask anything in accordance with what he wants, with who he is, his character, he's going to answer us. you know what I'm saying? He's going to answer us. In fact, it's the assurance he gives us. The next point I want you to see there is this. Again, confidence in prayer. Confidence that God hears produces confidence in answered prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may want to write that down. It's in your notes. Confidence that God hears produces confidence in answered prayer. See, if you know in your heart that God hears you, If you're not wrestling with that, then that's going to produce in you a confidence that he's going to answer you. Do do you understand what I'm saying? It's going to produce in you a confidence that he's going to answer you. If you have a confidence that he hears you, that you're not going to him with your mansy-pamsy, you know, selfish little things that you're asking him for, God, I need a new truck. Okay, it's okay to ask God for a truck, but when you're describing it in a year... Do you know what I'm saying? And the color, that's a little selfish, right? Do you know what I'm saying? So the point is, is that confidence that he hears us produces confidence in answered prayer. Here's the thing. That brings up a good issue. Are you struggling in your prayer life? Are you wrestling with whether or not God hears you? As far as answering prayers? Do you get frustrated because it seems like he's not answering prayers? Then you need to go one step back based upon this verse and say, okay, if I'm wrestling with the whole issue of answered prayers, is there a greater issue going on here? Am I wrestling with whether or not he hears me? And if he's not hearing you, then you need to ask yourself some questions biblically. Is there something going on in my life that's maybe hindering my prayers. Like what? Well, Psalm sixty six talks about if we regard iniquity in our heart, he will not hear us. Here's another one. First Peter chapter three, I think it's verse ten, he's talking to guys there. He says, guys, you know, love your wives because otherwise he won't hear you. If you're not honoring your wife in your relationship with him and with her He's not going to hear your prayers. So your answered prayer life is connected to your relationship with others. So it really is a question of, if you're not if you're really struggling with God answering prayers in your life, the issue's got to go one step back and say, are you having an issue with confidence in whether or not he hears you? And if there is, then you need to examine some things. You need to examine whether or not you are where you should be in your relationship with him. Because he hears you except in a few instances when you are, what, when there's sin in your life, okay? He goes one step further because he's going to talk about the confidence in prayer and confidence that God will hear you in your prayers. He's going to take it one step further and talk about intercession now. Verse 15 is, is, is a really interesting verse, and sometimes it's misused, but it has to, no, excuse me, verse 16, it has to do with praying for a sinning brother, it has to do with praying for someone who believes in Jesus Christ who is sinning okay or claims to G- believe in Jesus Christ who is sinning so let's look at verse 16 together and then we're going to talk about this if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death he will ask and he will give that's talking about God God will give him life will give him life for those who commit Sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All right, let's talk about this. First of all, you should pray for a brother who is sinning. Bottom line. Here's the thing. There's always an opposite to prayer. Satan always has an opposite to prayer. Anybody know what the opposite to prayer is? What's Satan's opposite to prayer? Anybody have a clue? Lori? Asking somebody else to pray about it? Okay, so talking to somebody else about it rather than going to God. Okay, that's right. Here's the opposite. The opposite of prayer and Satan's method of talking with you, um, as far as knowing something about a brother, maybe that they're sinning, is gossip. The opposite of prayer is gossip, because here's what God will do. You and I will interact with each other on a daily basis, and sometimes we will interact with each other, and we will see that, the, that our brother or sister in Christ is not doing what they should be doing. They may be not living their life the way they should be living it. They may be sinning. Now, God will reveal those things to you for a purpose. The number one purpose, why? There's actually two purposes. The number one purpose is for you to pray for them. Pray for their relationship with Jesus. Because if they're sinning, if they're in sin, what's that doing to their relationship with Christ? Anybody? Yeah, it's breaking that relationship with Christ. They're not walking in fellowship with Christ. So the first thing you want to do is you want to pray for them. Now you said there's a second thing. The second thing is is that God will call you to go and talk to them about it. Go and talk to them and say, "Hey, I'm noticing that you're struggling here. Are you doing all right? It's not, you know, what you're doing is not pleasing to the Lord. You know, so you go and confront them. Now, usually what we think of as confrontation is, and some churches have done this, is go and say, "Hey, Brad, I notice you're not doing right." The finger wagging thing, okay? That's not what we're talking about in confrontation. Because Galatians 6.1 talks about confrontation. If we see a brother who's in sin, we're to go to them with what? Gentleness and meekness. Seeking to what? Restore. The issue of biblical confrontation over sin is always to restore them to what? Their relationship with Jesus. Now the problem is, is that the exact opposite happens in churches, right? When we talk about confrontation in church and people about sin, it's to what? Beat them down and kick them out. That's not biblical. Okay? So, you and I, first thing John is saying is you should pray for the brother who is sinning. Now, let's stop for a moment because he delineates two types of sin here. He's talking about sin that does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. Okay? Okay? What's he talking about here, George? Well, there's actually three views. I'll share all three views with you, and I'll just kind of sum it all up for you. The first view is is that the sins leading to death and the sins not leading to death comes out of the Mosaic Law. So if you look at the Mosaic Law in the first five books, there were certain sins that were committed that required people to be what? Killed. Stoned. So, for instance... The sin of rebelling against your, or back-talking your parents, would result in what? In the Old Testament. You would be stoned. That was a, that was a sin resulting in death. We're all in trouble here, aren't we? As we think about our uh, the way we grew up and so forth. All right? So they were sins that were, on the basis of the law of Moses, that resulted in death versus sins that don't result in death. Okay? That's the one view. That's a view that's embraced by the Catholic Church because to the Catholic Church there are mortal sins. There's seven mortal sins. And then there are venial sins. Sins that can be pardoned. If you know somebody who's Catholic, they may talk about it in terms of that if they understand that. Okay? That's really not a good view of what he's talking about here. The next two views are kind of closely, close together. The, the next view is, is that the sins leading to death is apostasy. It is someone who has rejected Jesus Christ and rejected salvation as coming through the cross. That's apostasy. He's already talked about that earlier in this letter when he talked about those who are antichrist. Okay? So it's the sin that leads to death is unbelief. Because is there any sin that Jesus can't forgive? No. Except what? unbelief and rejection of Christ, okay? Which brings us to the third view, which is closely connected to the second view, is, is that John is talking about those who are committing a sin leading to death are the false teachers because they deny the deity of Jesus Christ and his humanity. They deny who he is and the salvation that comes through him. And so, therefore, they've sealed their doom by denying Christ. So it's closely connected to the first one, okay? So what we have here, then, is this. Sin that leads to death is the rejection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So let me just stop for a moment. You and I are to pray for a brother who's in sin. Bottom line, Satan's opposite is for you to go and talk to someone. In fact, Satan's opposite even takes a little pretty picture like this. I got a prayer request. Please pray for so-and-so because they're not doing right. That's Christian gossip. There's another term for it. It's called praying them in the back. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? Pray them in the back. The bottom line is is that you're just falling into the sin of Satan. If you see something, nobody else sees it. God's showing it to you for a reason. Number one thing is what? You pray for them. Number two thing, you go and talk to them. You go and talk to them. You pray, Lord... I'm going to go talk to them. Help me to get through to them about their relationship, okay? So but he says that's for someone who is just sinning. But there is a sin that leads to death. He's saying here that you sh- he's not telling you to pray for them. Let me also say this. He's not telling you not to pray for them. He's not telling you not to. But he's not he's talking about praying for those who are just sinning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Who are just sinning in general, and it's affecting their relationship with Christ. So he goes on here and says, Look, if you pray for them, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 15, 16. He will ask. That's talking about the person who's petitioning, will ask, and he, that's talking about God, will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. God will answer. He'll work in their life. James says the same thing, doesn't he? James chapter 5, when it talks about praying for those who are sick, not just those who are sick, but praying for those who are in sin. And that he will hear and he'll restore life to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it is important for you to pray for those who are in sin. Now you say, how do we pray for them, though? How do we pray for them, George? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn your Bibles if you have your Bibles. Just go there real quickly. Here's how you pray for them. Look at verse 25 and 26. He's talking about the servant of Christ in verse 24. Must not quarrel, but look at what it says. Verse 20, this is actually, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patience. So he's talking about the mindset that you need to have with folks. Okay? Look at what he says. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Look at what it says. If God will perhaps grant them what? Repentance. So when I'm praying for a brother who's, or a sister who's not right in their relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna, it talks about how I need to deal with them, but it's also talking about how I need to pray for them so that God will grant them what? Repentance. Look at what it says. So that they may know the truth. Look at the last, next verse, verse 26. That they may come to their senses. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, when's the last time you heard something about somebody coming to their senses? Think about it in the Gospels. Who's it talking about that came to their senses? Anybody? I'll help you. The prodigal. Remember the prodigal when he was away from his father, and he was living it up and doing his own thing, and then hard times fell, and he was taking care of a Jewish boy, taking care of the pigs? which is an unclean animal, and they didn't feed him too well, so he's eating what now? Anybody remember the story of the prodigal? What was he eating? He was eating the pig food. And it says that he, he was laying there destitute, and he came to his what? Senses. And he realized it. He, he came to repentance. He came to his senses. So what you want to do is you want to pray, God, grant them repentance. Help them to come to their what? Senses. Look at what it says there. And escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Why? You need to pray, God, help them to come to their senses. Because right now where they're at, they're just a tool in Satan's hand to do whatever he wants. You see the the issue of praying for another brother? It's serious, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? It's serious. So... Let's go on then. Go back to 1 John. Here's the nature of sin. John states that all wicked actions are sinful. He refers to it as unrighteousness. Unrighteousness refers to the things that we do here. So he's saying that all wicked actions are sinful. However... Not all sin leads to spiritual death. Okay? So he's, again, wanting to qualify that there are sins, they're wicked, they're wrong, they need to be dealt with, but it's not what leads to death. Okay? So let's get to verse 18 to 20, and he's going to kind of wrap things up here. It's what's called the epilogue of this letter. Okay? Look with me at verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin... But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to see here, we're going to see, first of all, the Christian life expressed, we're going to see that in his first affirmation in verse 18. We're going to see the realm of influence that we have in verse 19. We're going to see the nature of the Son of Jesus in verse 20, and then we're going to see the encouragement. Okay, let's go on. Look here, verse 18. The one who is born of God does not continue to practice sin. Okay, so he's wrapping it up. He's already talked about this earlier. He's not saying here that you're going to be sinlessly perfect. He's already talked about that in the letter. Remember, my little children, I write unto you that you do not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he's not saying that you are not going to sin. What he's saying is is that if you're a believer you're not going to habitually be caught up in a sin that marks your life. It's not who you are. You're not going to continue to practice sin. Here's what he says, actually. If you are a Christian, and this is where you can tell where people are at, it's their attitude about what they're doing. What do you mean? You could tell the difference between someone who says they're a believer and someone who isn't a believer by their attitude about sin. Because here's what he says. The one who has experienced the new birth actively guards his life. Here's the difference between someone who doesn't know Jesus and someone who does concerning the issue of sin in their life. If you know Christ and you know you've been set free from, from, from your sin and you've received forgiveness and you know that sin is an offense to him and it hurts him and it's put him on the cross. Yes, you struggle with sin. He's already told you that. He understands that. He knows that. But what you're going to do is, this is what separates the men from the boys here, is is that you are going to actively seek to do something about it in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, you're struggling, but you're going to actively do something about it. The person who is not a believer, true believer, doesn't really care. You know, it's their character flaw. It's their little hang-up. It's their addictions. We all have addictions. You know, that's the attitude. The reality is, is that your belief is going to be expressed in your actions. And yes, you're going to sin, and and you shouldn't continue to sin, but it's going to determine whether or not you do something about it in your life. Are you doing something about it? That's the issue here John's talking about. Are you guarding your life against sin? Okay? Guarding your life against sin. Let's go on. John states... That the wicked one, here's the other thing he tells you, that the wicked one does not touch him. Here's sometimes we need to, I need to reinforce this with believers. Yes, the world belongs to Satan. He's the God of this world. Yes, he has his way and he influences people. He can even influence you. But here's the reality. Do you understand that he can't touch you? Unless God allows him. Job chapter 1 and 2. Satan cannot touch you unless God allows him to touch you. Most of us, can I be honest with you, are not confident. How do I know that? Because most of us are superstitious. What do you mean? You've been to the clerk lately, gone to Walmart. She rings up your total, comes to $6.66. You reach over and grab a candy bar and say, hey, you're added to, the, added to the tally. Now, you're joking at that, but we've seen that, haven't we? People get really freaked out, weirded out by the number of the beasts being on their thing. That's not what it's talking about. If you know the Bible, it talks about the mark you receive on your hand and your forehead. But we get all weirded out. You ever been alone in a dark house? It's not your house. It's an old house. Creeks. Mice running around. You get freaked out. You know what I'm talking about? And you think the boogeyman's after you? Satan's after you? We're laughing. But the reality is, is that most of us operate by our, what we see on Hollywood. No, it's not. Satan can't touch you. Lest God allows him to touch you. Do you understand? That's reality. You have no clue what's happening in the spiritual world right now. Reminds me of the story. Go all the way back to 2 Kings. You talk about Elisha. Remember Elisha and his, and his servant are there and, and the armies of Assyria, of Assyria are coming and, and he's all freaked out and worried. The servant is and Elisha has just come he's like, why are you calm? We're okay. And then he says, Lord, let him see what I see. And the servant then sees, and he sees the horizon filled with the chariots of God. Angels beyond number who are there to protect the servant. Do you realize what I'm saying? See, if I have confidence in him, I know That as a believer, I'm not going to continue in my sin. I'm going to guard my life. And I'm not going to worry about Satan because he can't touch me. Isn't that an awesome thought? He can't touch me. Let's go on then. Here's the the second affirmation. John states that we can know for certain that we're of God. You can know for certain that you're of God. He's given you a testimony within you. What's that? The Holy Spirit. You can know for certain that you are of God. In fact, here he goes on one step further and just points out. He also points out that the world is under the influence of Satan. He's the God of this world. Let's look at the next affirmation. Believers know for certain that the Son of God has come. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know for certain that the Son of God has come to this world. Believers know for certain, here's the other thing, That Jesus has given them understanding. When you come to Jesus, you have understanding concerning his word and the way things are. Because he's the one who gives it to you. Okay? And then here's what we see. We can understand the one who is true and that we belong to him. You see what he's saying there? You and I can understand the one who is true, Jesus. And we can understand... That we belong to Him. Now, then, look at this. The last part of verse twenty. Oftentimes, you might be here and you say, "Well, you know, you keep saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Where do you get that from, George? Where do you get that from?" I can, I believe He's the Son of God, but where do you get that He's God? Look at the last part of verse twenty. We are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. And look at the next phrase. This is. The what? True God. Jesus Christ is the true God. You gotta grasp that. And eternal life. He is our eternal life. So then, look at the encouragement. He's gonna end the letter with this whole point. Here's what he says. John commands us to keep ourselves pure from idolatry. Now, here's the problem with that verse for us as North Americans. You might be sitting here saying, well, you know, George, I'm not from some other culture in the world where they're bowing down to a gold idol or a piece of wood or a pole or, or something like that. We, we don't suffer from idolatry here. Really? Our idols aren't made out of gold or carved out of wood. Our idols actually are other things. Trucks. Deer. Turkey, job, children. Did you those, those are the North American idolatries, right? Money. Those are the things. Pleasure, sex. Those are the idolatries of our heart. You know what I'm saying? It's not going. I mean, we, 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 we pay homage to those things daily. Do you know what I'm saying? Computers, Facebook. Okay? He is telling us, and this is a message that's relevant to you and I, for you and I today here in North America. He's telling us, he's commanding us to keep ourselves pure from idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry, in its essence, is a substitute for God. What are you substituting for God in your life? What's, here's the better way to ask it, what's the God in your life? What has the focus in your life? Achievement? Sex? Pleasure? TV? Computer? Hunting? Do do you know what I'm saying? What is it in your life? Cars? Money? Food? He's telling us here what? Keep ourselves from that. Okay, that wraps up chapter, the first epistle there.